May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul wrote one of the greatest letters from a Roman jail cell. What did he have to say? And what does this letter teach us about the job of being a disciple today? Thank you so much. It's great to see everyone here. If you are here, uh, well done for being here. Um, braving it through the rain and through all the excitement of this evening. For those of you watching online, it's great to see you. And uh, we are in part two of our series on Philippians. Now, with this series, what we're doing is sometimes when we do a series, we do it on uh, life application. So how do you get better at relationships or how do you deal with anxiety and stress? Sometimes we do it on biblical history, like a character from the Old Testament. What can we learn from Daniel? What can we learn from David? But this series is a series where we look at a book the book of Philippians, and we're doing one chapter each week. Now, if you do a chapter each week, then you can only really skim through the surface. And so what I would like to encourage you to do, all of you, whether they're here or watching online, is actually to delve into this book yourself. One book that I can really recommend to help you understand what Philippians is all about is this book, which is Paul for Everyone by Tom Wright. Now, this is um, a series of commentaries, little notes, little bite-sized chunks that you can do every morning uh, that will go through the letters. In this case, it's Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, all the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. But while Paul was in prison, he wrote to this church that he'd founded 10 years ago from just three people, a slave girl, his old prison warden and a businesswoman and that had now grown into a thriving church 10 years later and he says I pray with you because of joy I've got joy because of what's happening with you an unreasonable joy because of two things first because of they they were promoting the good news and then secondly because they were progressing in their faith and that really is the the whole thrust behind this book. This is a book about progressing in your faith. It's about promoting the good news. That if we promote the good news, then we will progress in our faith. And the more we progress in our faith, the more we become like Jesus, the more God's work is done in us, the more it will give good profile to the good news, the gospel. So Paul says, I thank God, I pray with joy when I pray with you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now, because of the fellowship, the koinonia of the gospel. But also I pray with joy because I'm confident that God is able to complete the work that he started in you. How many of you, give me a yeah, would say, I want God to complete his good work in me? Give me a yeah in the comments. Because some people, it's like, I'm a Christian and I just stay there. But actually what Paul says is the whole point of the Christian life is that you progress, that God started something good in you. God enabled you to know Jesus. God enabled you to see him, to receive the Holy Spirit. He forgave your sins. That's just a start. 
We don't just stay there, we progress. And what does progression look like? It looks like becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's the good work which God has started in us. And so Paul says in that first chapter, and if you missed it, go back, catch up online. If you are online, like, subscribe. We need to build up our channel. We've only got another 730 people before we get special status on YouTube. So like, subscribe. But he said, because of all these things, because even I'm in prison, that actually advances the gospel because people are talking about Jesus. We're hitting the headlines. We're making news. And even when we suffer, Jesus is working in us. So chapter two, he says this, therefore, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So last week, chapter one was all about pushing the gospel, promoting the gospel. We are the good news people. We exist not just so that we can have a good time, but we exist so that people can hear that God is real, that he loves them, that he's come and lived in this world. He's become a human being. He's lived a perfect life. He's shown us what humanity is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be full of grace and kindness and mercy and truth and compassion and justice and inclusion for everybody. He says, that's what the good news is. Now I want you to progress in your faith. But there's a catch. He says, the only way that you can progress in your faith is with others. So here's the thing. You need others. You need others. He says, if you have any inkling of God in your life, if you have any kind of connection with Jesus, if you have even the smallest amount of the Holy Spirit living in you, if you have the tiniest amount of empathy for other people, then this is how it should work out. You should be of one mind, one spirit, one union with other people. In other words, you can't do Christianity on your own. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, the only way that we become like Jesus is as we are in relationship with others. I lead, um, as one of the leaders of this church, I get to hear people talk all the time about their own personal faith. And sometimes people will check out of church. They'll say church is institutional. They say that church is outmoded. They say church is just, you know, it's too rigid. It's too formal a structure. I don't want organized religion. And so they'll say, I have a faith, but I work it out on my own. But Paul says, and the scripture says, you can't work it out on your own. You can't be in union with others on your own. You can't love others on your own. You can't be one spirit with others on your own. Sometimes people, they, they kind of fall prey to the prevailing wisdom of the age, which is all about me first, my spirituality, my truth, my way. People will say, I want to find something that works for me. 
And you can get into this idea that Christianity is just to make my life better. I wanna become more spiritual. I wanna do my thing, I wanna walk my own path. Sometimes people will come in and they'll say, do you know, I want a little bit of church, but only enough just so that I can get some good experiences or get some good teaching, so that I can fill my head with the right way to think, the right way to believe. I had one girl just in this very venue, she came up to me, we were talking at the end of the service, and I said, I see you sometimes and I don't see you other times. What's going on with that? And she says, Philip, I like to come to this church because of the teaching. I said, well, I can understand that. She said, but I like to go to another church because that's where all my friends are. That's the church that I first started going to. And I said to her, please, 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 whatever you do, stop coming here because we are not helping you. We are doing you a disservice. You can't just dip in and out of church because all you want is an experience over here, some teaching over there, some worship over here. Actually, in the end, she ended up becoming part of our community and sewed into it and gave her life and became an absolute core pillar because she got, you can't do Christianity on your own. If you're watching this and you're in a situation where you're unable to get into a church where there's nothing that quite works for you or your circumstances are awkward and this is the best that you can do, then that's fine. But there are some people these days more than ever where we just dip into some content or we grab onto a podcast or we glom onto someone else's church live stream. Why? Because we can do all that we need just from the comfort of our own home. We can get our injection of spirituality and teaching and all those buzz. We can enjoy the spectacle, but you can't do Christianity on your own. People will say, it's about you, it's your journey, it's what works for you, it's your, your identity, it's your relationship with God. But the Bible doesn't know a faith like that. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of Scripture. The way of Scripture is you need others. Paul says, I want you to progress in your Faith. The only way that you'll be able to do that is with other people. I want you to progress, but the way that you progress is in partnership, in relationship, in fellowship, koinonia. You remember that word from last week? It's all about that interplay of relationships and fellowship and family and close-knit community where we're working things out. I become more loving, I become more patient, I become more like Jesus when I have others. And here's the problem. You say to me, yeah, Philip, okay, I can understand the theory, but there's one problem with doing your faith with others. Others are often awful. Others are often disappointing. Yeah, Matt, big heartfelt amen from the front. (laughs) How many of you have been in a church situation, and be honest, how many of you have been in a church situation and you got burnt because someone behaved badly? Or you felt like you were not taken seriously, or you were taken for granted, or you were not being met, your needs weren't being met? Sometimes people leave church, I've had people leave our church, and they'll say, you know what, I feel like I can do my spirituality just with me and my tight, close group of friends. 
because we're like one another, because we think alike. We like reading the same books, and we actually have a much more sweet, tender, intimate relationship with Jesus, just with a few of us, than we do with the church, because in big church, there's all these people, they've got different opinions, or they're a little bit uh, rough around the edges, and we find it difficult with them. It's just sometimes hard to, to, to find common ground. And so we have this lovely spirituality ourselves. But Paul says, listen, that's the whole point. The whole point is that we are tearing down walls, that we're bringing in the broken, not just the cool and the trendy and those that have got it all together. We need to do church with one another in the rough parts of life so that we can learn how to be more like Jesus. Paul says, let me give you, let me give you a stone cold concrete way of dealing with other people. If you have people that wind you up or if you have people that let you down or if you have people that try your patience, this is what I want you to do because anything else is just a selfish, me first Christianity and that doesn't wash with what Jesus calls us to do. So he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Everyone say, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul is saying, okay, you can only progress in your faith. You can only become more and more of what God wants you to be, of what Jesus calls you to be. You can only have that by interacting and dealing with other people. Christianity is a team sport, and we love team sports, right? Apparently there's some kind of fixture happening later on this evening. And you'll see a bunch of people working together in unity and harmony with one spirit, one mind, common goals. Different people, different talents, different abilities, different positions, yet with one straightforward goal. And Paul says the way to really make this church thing work for you, the way to get through is to value others above yourselves, to be humble. Now immediately, when we start talking about humble, being humble in humility, value others above yourselves, some of you are thinking, oh, Philip, I, I just don't know about this stuff. Because it just feels like I'm supposed to be, oh, I'm a, I'm a worm, I'm not worthy, oh no, you first, oh no, please don't think about me, I'm nobody. And, and we have to really put ourselves down. And I'm not sure that that's right, because when you put yourself down, you get taken advantage of by other people. Do you know, when it comes to humility, my favorite quote is from C.S. Lewis, and he said this, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking, about, uh, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Now, I'm an incredibly humble person. I, I really am. That's true. You can ask anybody. I'm mega humble, but I'm also a great guy. I don't have to put myself down. I, I know that I am. I know I'm pretty fantastic, but humility is not me saying, oh, no, I'm awful. I'm rubbish because I'm great. I'm great, aren't I, hon? She's great. She's agreeing with me. I'm not making this stuff up. I really am great, but humility isn't thinking less of me, it's thinking of me less and putting others above me. It means I value others above myself. 
So Paul says, you need others, but this is what you need to do with others. You need to value others above you. It's just a value judgment. It's not a great big, oh, I've got to be fundamentally humble. I find it hard to be humble because I'm so awesome. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Am I right? No, it's a value judgment. I just value others as greater than me. How many of you put your hands up if you've ever been in the presence of someone that was more important than you? Okay, some of you not put your hands up. You honestly, really, you need to either get out more or really scale down your self-worth. We've all been in the presence of people that are more important or people that we value above ourselves. Uh, Will and Ali are here this evening and uh, we had their wedding just about, what, two months ago? Three. Three. Wow, and they said it wouldn't last. But three months ago, (laughs) Will and Ali got married. And even though, you know, we've rehearsed this, you know, we're all pretty great people in our own right. When um, Ali... Alejandra, when she came through the door, we all stood up. We got off our chairs. We stood up because we were in the presence of the most important person in the room. When you value someone ahead of yourself, you treat them in a different way. How many of you caught that story with um, Mason Mount? You know, Mason Mount, the English midfield player. Uh, there's a story going around. If you haven't seen it, it's basically at the end of the, the last match um, versus... Denmark, uh, there was this 10-year-old girl, her name's Bella, and Bella had been on the front of the spectators, right by the pitch, and she had spent the whole time, that whole game, shouting out for her hero, screaming out for her hero, since before the whole thing started. She was saying, Mason, Mason, Mason Mount, Mason, Mason, Mason Mount, and at the end of the match, Mason Mount himself comes over and gives her his match shirt. You can see it's been viewed two million times on Twitter. She's been on Good Morning um, Britain or whatever it's called, that program with the people. Uh, She's been on the BBC. She's been in all the newspapers. It's a really heartwarming story. And this 10-year-old girl, as soon as she got the the shirt, mind you, a dirty, used, second-hand shirt, she bursts into tears. And she turns around and she faces the guy that's filming her. And she's just beaming. She looks like she's about to spontaneously combust. And then when they all interview her afterwards, she says, I'm going to keep this shirt forever. She says, I'm not going to wash it. I'm not going to sell it. I'm just going to hold on to it for the rest of my life. Why? Because she values this guy above herself. She values Mason Mount above herself. She doesn't necessarily know him. If Mason Mount was a geography teacher, I'm not sure there'd be the same reaction. But she has chosen to give that man, Mason Mount, a high level of value. She values him above herself. That's all I want to say about Mason Mount. That is the end of my Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, thank you. Oh, no, no, please, thank you, no, more. Uh, I am a great guy, and I'm really humble about it. But uh, please, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) Paul says, when you view other people, have that kind of attitude. They may not necessarily deserve it, but you make a value judgment. You treat them as if they were the most important person. 
You treat them as if they were more important than you. This is how we do faith. And for those of you that are watching or you're here in the room a little bit on the edge, maybe you're making little baby steps back towards Christian faith. Maybe you're totally on the edge and totally alienated from it, but you've got some questions and you're thinking about it. You just need to know from the off that this is what we are about. We are about a radical upheaval of how people normally do life. Instead of everyone living for me, 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 it's all about me. The body of Christ is a group of people that say it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about everybody else. And if everybody does this, then you have some kind of magic. If everyone is treating each other as more important than themselves, then you get this incredible, joyous, united, one-spirited, one-hearted, one-mind, one-purposed, fellowship, close-knit family that just is so sweet to belong to. And it's a wonderful thing. And if you're not a believer, whether or not you're completely convinced by the message, this at least should grip you. A brand new way of doing community, a brand new way of doing society. When we live in a fractured and fractious age where people are at each other's throats, where people villainize and criticize one another, where you can be canceled, where you can be criticized, where you can be condemned, where you can make one mistake and pay for it for the rest of your life, when you can be called out and when you can be uh, just cast aside because of a whole host of things, the body of Christ, the body of Christ are supposed to be a bunch of people that say, no, you first, you above me, you above me, you above me, your needs before my needs, your privilege above my privilege. And again, if you're on the outside looking in, you, you might be thinking, well, how on earth do you do this? And Paul says, look, it's not just about gritting your truth your teeth and trying to do your best. He says, this is the heart of the gospel. He says this, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Everyone say mindset. mindset. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible teaches us that if I am to progress in my faith and if we are to progress in our faith together, what we need to do is we need to take on a different mindset. What is a mindset? It is a way of looking at the world. It's an understanding of a bigger picture that frames my decisions, my choices, my attitude, my behavior. 
It means that I see things and I, I pass reality in a particular way, through a particular lens, and my behavior, my action is consistent with that. I can do anything if I have the right mindset. Why did I stand up when Ali walks through the room in this beautiful dress on this beautiful day? Because my mindset is she's the most important person in the room. Because my mindset is that she is the one to be celebrated. So I don't think, well, who does she think she is? She's not better than me. No, I feel like she is to be lauded, lifted up, appreciated, and just lavished upon. And that is about mindset. And Paul says, and, and when Paul uses this language, what he's doing is he's either quoting himself or he's quoting somebody else. It's a passage, a poem at the heart of this letter to the Philippian church. And it expresses this incredible, incredible truth that even barely 30 years had passed before, uh, since Jesus had died on the cross and already people all over the world, right up into the north of Greece, hundreds and hundreds of miles from Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified, already people were believing and confessing and acknowledging Jesus, who being in very nature God. It is unbelievable. It is incredible. Sometimes people will criticize or they'll attack the Gospels. They'll say, well, the Gospels, they're just written hundreds of years later. It's just legend and, and exaggeration. No, this is a historical letter. 20 plus years after the fact, with people who, like Paul, were there. They were Pharisees. They were people that had spent their whole lives saying, God does not become a man. God does not become a man. Now saying, who being in very nature, God. He is God, and yet he didn't grasp and hold on to it. The one person who really is great, and spoiler alert, I'm not really great. It's true. It is true. I'm, I'm broken, and I'm fallible, and I, I'm full of hypocrisy, and I'm, even I am disappointed with me. But Jesus is without sin, without fault, utterly full of grace, God incarnate. And yet he says, I'm not going to play up to my privilege. I'm going to lay it aside. That is his mindset. He has a mindset of humility. He has a mindset of servant-heartedness. And so what this book is telling us is, it says we need a mindset reset. We need to have a reset of how we think. We think differently about people. Why? Because that's how Jesus thinks. And I want to be like Jesus. You know that thing, uh, WWJD, which stands for, what would Jesus do? Do you know what, I like it, but I've always been a little bit conflicted because I think, well, I, I don't know what Jesus would do. I remember someone here, they challenged me. Um, they said, I, I asked them to do something, and then they said, would Jesus say that? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What would Jesus do doesn't work in so many of my situations. You know, where would Jesus vote? Tory or Labour? I don't know. Would he vote at all? I don't know. What would Jesus drive? Pfft, Mercedes? I don't know. Electric? I, I, what, where would Jesus go on holiday? I don't know. Beach holiday? City break? I don't know. He could do a beach holiday. He probably freaked the bodyboarders out by walking on the water. I mean, I just don't know. 
But this is how Paul speaks. He says, you don't have to think about what would Jesus do. That can be great in certain circumstances. But really, what we're asking you to do is think like Jesus thinks. And at this point, I go, oh, well, yeah. This I understand. This makes perfect sense to me. How does Jesus think? Well, he always puts people above himself. How does Jesus have his mindset? Well, his mindset is one of humility. He thinks of himself less. He's not obsessed with him. It's not all about him. How does Jesus behave? He serves people. Well, I can put that into practice. You can put it into practice, say, in relationships. I remember talking to one couple, talking of couples that that get married. This couple had been married for just a year or two. Kate and I get called in. They're having problems. And uh, we go in and we sit down and then there's this catalogue of he did, she did, he said, she said. And there's kind of, there are loggerheads, there's friction and there's sadness and hurt and upset in their relationship. And she says, he doesn't do his fair share of the work. And she says that and then he says, she's always nagging me, she always puts me down, she never appreciates me. And we say, how do you speak about one another? And she says, I tell him how I feel. I said, why don't you speak some good things? I don't say good things about him. He doesn't deserve it. What you've got is what so often happens in relationships that start off really sweet and lovely and doe-eyed and you're the one and you complete me and I heart you. It ends up, particularly first year, first child, it ends up with you're not paying uh, the price. You're not pulling your weight. It's not 50-50. And when they marry, it's like everything I have I give to you. And when they live together, it's like you do half and I do half. Let's compromise. And you might think compromise is a great way of doing relationships, but it's really, really not. Certainly can't sustain a marriage like that. And Paul says, listen, you should put each other above yourselves. And if you both do it, you can have a beautiful, harmonious relationship for the rest of your life. You can get through the tough times. You can get through the hard times. You need a mindset reset. Don't just think, he did this, she did that. He didn't come through for this. She let me down here. Just think, how can I put her interest above mine? How can I put his interest above me? How can I have them above me? If you do this, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, consider others. Have a mindset like Christ. Others are better than you. What if we did it with our community? If we did it in the community, again, we have this thing within church that the heart of the community is our midweek groups, our our small, sticky communities that we create together. If we didn't have those communities, we wouldn't be here right now. The pandemic would have washed us away like the tide washing away a sandcastle. We would not have remained. The only reason we remain is because we have groups of people meeting together together in sixes and eights and tens and twelves. They gather together in houses or on Zoom virtually or in person, but they're committed to one another. But it doesn't work when someone says, who's coming to Hub tonight? Ah, my favorite people are not coming to Hub, therefore I am not coming. Or people that say, I am feeling a little bit tired, a little bit worn out, I think I will give it a miss tonight. Now I'm not trying to beat you over the head or say you've always got to be there. But what I'm saying is, can you imagine the joy, the beauty, the grace? 
If we had communities that put this stuff into practice and said, hey, it's not about me. I'm not going because this is the most easy group of people that I've ever been around. I can tell you some stories about some hubs where people have really had to push through with, with you know, just rough experiences of people and ask me afterwards. But we can have these communities where actually we come together, we put the other person above ourselves and it is beautiful. What about your workplace? Having a workplace where I go in and I say, how can I look after the interests of others rather than doing this work with selfish ambition? One of the guys that I mentor, uh, he said to me, Philip, I've just had this leadership coach. They've been assigned to me because he's a bit of a high flyer. And uh, they gave me this leadership coach, but it only lasted one session because the leadership coach didn't know what to do with me. In our first session, the leadership coach said, right, what you need to do is you need to network with those that can advance your career. And I said, I'm not going to do that. She said, you just need to just shut out those that aren't going to help advance you. You need to choose. You can only spend your time with so many people. You need to choose to spend people that can advance you. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be with the people that can't give me any favors. I'm going to help them that need help more than I do. I'm going to put their needs. I'm not going to be in a job just so that I can advance myself. It's all about me. You do you. No. I'm about putting others before me. And so they quit and they cut the leadership coach and then they promoted him and said, can you help us with our workplace culture? But can you imagine what it would be like if we as believers were progressing in our faith, not because we had a hermetically sealed faith that was just for me and my close friends, and I just have my little tower where I allow only what I like and what's like me to come in, but instead we were a people who were in fellowship and community and family, having one spirit, one mind, the mindset of Jesus, a mindset reset, where we were constantly pushing each other above ourselves, where it was a joy for us to serve one another, not looking for our own benefit, but everyone doing that for one another. You have a kind of heaven on earth. And Paul says, he, he builds on this a little bit. He says, you know, you shouldn't be grumbling. You shouldn't be complaining. You, you should be seeing how we can be more Christ-like for one another. Because Jesus, he gave his very life. And he was crucified on a cross. The worst death possible. But he says, if we get this right, not only do we become more like Christ, but he says this. He says, then you will shine among them. That is, those around you. Like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And we're back to the good news. We're back to the good news being promoted. If we do church, if we do community, if we do the body of Christ like it is designed to be done, there's nothing more fantastically attractive. And actually, I know that some of you are here not because you first became convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. That maybe came later. But you're here because you just thought, man, these guys, there's something different about them. The way they interact with one another, the way they love one another. It's just, it's just unusual. It doesn't have a, an explanation. It's unreasonable. It's beautiful. It shines like stars in the sky. 
So that's our calling. That's why as a church, we don't just say we exist to help people find Jesus and follow Jesus, job done. No, we say we want people to love one another. We want to serve the city. Things like TLG are important to us. Things like coming together and supporting each other and building family together and having just this, uh, I'm putting your needs above mine kind of culture cultivated in our midst. That's what we're about. And that is what convinces an unbelieving world that belief in Christ makes sense. So this is our big idea. We cannot progress in becoming more like Jesus on our own. We need others. We need a mindset reset so that we value each other above ourselves as Jesus valued our lives above his. Let's pray. I just want you to take a, a couple of moments of quiet. And I want you to think, has your heart been just pinged by any of this stuff? What in yourself do you see, oh yeah, these attitudes are not like Christ. This is more like selfish ambition. You may not be in a marriage relationship. You may be nowhere near it, but you do have flatmates. You do have friends. Maybe it's how you do work. That actually you just do the bare minimum. You just do what you need to do in order to advance your career path or in order to get the grades that you need. What about community? You dab into community when it suits you. You just scoop off the icing and leave the rest this is not a time for condemnation but this is the time for us to say Jesus we want to be like you Jesus we want your mindset reset our mindset so that we become more like you so that we become this great constellation of stars that cause people to point and wonder and see Jesus so let's invite Jesus and ask him to give us his mindset, his reset. Lord God, right now for all of us, I pray that you would allow us to have the same worldview as Jesus. Because Jesus not only gives his life and serves the world, but he knows that one day he's going to be exalted. And one day we look forward to that time when Jesus will be exalted. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray, Lord God, that we would demonstrate more and more and more what it's like to be people who value others above ourselves. Lord, fundamentally put this into the core of our being and let us grow and develop in the grace of humility and valuing others that we might create the kinds of community that convince people that you're real. In Jesus' name, amen.